0: Okay, last uh, Sunday to beat up on the wives. Husbands, keep your elbows to your side. Turn to Titus chapter 2, verses 3 through 5, where we're going to be looking at wives. love your husbands and children. Imagine being invited to the world's greatest vineyard, right? Right at harvest time where the grapes are in big fat clusters, all plump and juicy. And the owner of the vineyard is there and he says, do you see this row of grapes here? You can pick as many as you want. And you're thinking, oh, this is going to be good. I'll just be able to, to just just to harvest lots. And he says, yeah, he says, my my driver here is going to uh, just take you down the row in the golf cart and you just go go for it. And so you hop in and the driver speeds away and says, pick, pick. And so you're, you're grabbing clusters and you're getting a few grapes and you're, you're throwing them into your lap. You get to the end of the road and you only got a handful and you eat them and they're good. But you wish you could have had more. And yet the owner shows up and says, you know, I know the driver went kind of fast, but later on you can go back and pick all you want. Well, that's how it is going to be this morning. We're going to drive down the row of Titus 2, 3 through 5. And I'm telling you, <laughs> there is way, way more here than I could ever hope to tell you uh, this morning. My wife has, a, I think, a 10-week series on this same section. It's loaded. This section is loaded. And so we are going to be driving fast because I'm the driver and that's just the way it is. But I want to expose you to the text Later on, you can come back and harvest all you want. But uh, I want to make sure we kind of get through and you kind of see um, just the big picture of everything God wants women to be in the church. And if you've ever studied the book of Titus, you know that Titus was a pastor on the island of Crete, which is about 35 miles wide and over 100 miles long. It's, it's a big island. And Paul had started the ch- a church there somewhere on the island and left Titus to continue the work. And as you go through the book of Titus, Titus is one of three what are called pastoral epistles or letters written to pastors, 1st and 2nd Timothy and Titus. And those letters were written to pastors of churches to tell them what they are to be and do and what they are to teach the church. And so everything in the book can be divided up into instructions to leaders and instructions to the people they shepherd. And what is interesting is in chapter one, he starts off doing his normal greeting thing, addresses elders, and then he addresses these people who he calls empty talkers who profess to know Christ, but with their deeds, they deny him. And he says these kind of people who say, oh, I'm a Christian and I love the Lord and whatever, but but don't live for him are detestable. He says they are disobedient and they are worthless for any good deed. And you may be thinking as you read through this, I was thinking about this. Why would he tell him that? Because of this, when you're a pastor and you're trying to teach people the word of God and they aren't growing and they aren't applying it. It is one of the most frustrating things. It, the most joyful things like John told his, um, uh, the, the recipients of his, uh, little epistle, third John, that, that, you know, he had no greater joy than to see his people, his walking in the truth of God's word. Well, Consequently, it's a grief when they don't. And yet one of the things that helps you endure people's unwillingness to obey the truth is when you remember they aren't Christians. They profess to know him, but with their deeds, they deny him, which tells you what they really are. And so he does the qualifications for elder. He addresses this certain category of professors, empty talkers. And then he gets into... Issues that he talks about in two verse one as teaching sound doctrine. But as for you, speak the things which are fitting for sound doctrine. Regardless of what the empty talkers are saying, regardless of what those who profess to know him and with their deeds deny him say, you, Titus, as a pastor, teach things fitting for sound doctrine, and then he goes through the text and he addresses all these different categories, and we're just going to look at the women category this morning. So if you have your Bible, look at Titus Chapter 2, and follow along as I read verses 3 through 5. Notice what Paul tells Titus. Older women, likewise, are to be reverent in their behavior, behavior, not malicious gossips, nor enslaved to much wine, teaching what is good, so that they may encourage the young women to love their husbands, to love their children, to be sensible, pure, workers at home, kind, being subject to their own husbands so that the word of God will not be dishonored. Now, when you look at that, you think, man, there is quite a bit of stuff there. And there is. And we can uh, divide this all up into three general categories are specific ways that women or wives need to conduct themselves to bring blessing to themselves, to bring honor to their Lord, to be blessing to their husbands and their children and their societies. Uh, and so that's what we're going to look at. remember, we are in our series on God's design for the family. And we're trying to address, you know, kind of husbands and wives and children and parents and and then uh, we're going to do a couple ish uh, messages directed to abortion, which is probably one of the greatest tragedies going on in the world today. And we'll save that for the end. But our first point is this. Older wives be godly examples. Look at verse 3. Notice Paul begins by saying older women. Now, you might be out there wondering, am I an older woman? I mean, no one wants to admit that. Um, what does it mean to be an older woman? Well, uh, usually uh, most agree that it's probably somewhere about 60 or older after you have had children after you have raised them and they've left home 60 is about the age maybe 50 or 55 the Bible doesn't say but older and in the church women can be old in two different ways and I'm sorry about this women it's just the way it is Um, (laughs) old in two different ways you can be old in the number of years you are and you can also be old In your relationship with the Lord or mature in your relationship with the Lord. For instance, you can have a woman who's maybe 30 years old, but who has been very diligent, very faithful at studying and applying God's word. And she would be a mature, older, godly woman in the Lord. And you could have a 70 year old woman who just came to the Lord. And that woman would be a baby Christian, right? She would be a baby in the Lord, though she is old in age. And so it's best to understand this older women as referring to godly, mature women. And of course, the ideal would be to have older, godly, mature women because they would know the Lord for the longest and having walked with the Lord for the longest would have the most wisdom. The problem is, is when Paul is writing to Titus and Crete here, the church hasn't been around that long. And so there, there couldn't be any women who did this all of their life. So in verse two, Paul is addressing all the mature godly women, and he lists three characteristics that they are to have. The text says older women likewise are to be reverent in their behavior. Likewise refers back to verse two when he's addressing older men. First, Paul says they need to be reverent in their behavior. And the word reverent is a compound of two words, one meaning sacred place or temple, and then um, the other is befitting so befitting a sacred or holy place or temple, that is, wives are to have character such that would make them fit into a holy place or temple. Hence, they are to have godly character. The word "behavior," when it says they are to be reverent in their behavior, is is they are to have a state of godliness. Uh, this was used in extra biblical Greek of war elephants. Um, And what's interesting is before they would go out to battle some of the um the warriors would would ride on elephants and they would get the elephants very angry and riled up because you know elephants are big animals and they're scary but when they're mad and big and then they're really scary and so they would agitate these elephants and then they would ride off into battle and the elephants being angry would just lash out at everything and so uh the same word their state or emotional condition is the same word that was used uh here in this text that is a christian woman is to have a not a maddened state but a reverent and holy state she is to be characterized by holiness now women especially those who have known the lord for a long time uh, need to stop and ask themselves how they're doing in this category how are you doing in your reverence would you survive if God had a temple or would you be like Nadab and Abihu consumed by fire because you are not being reverent? Are you growing in kindness and gentleness and peace and patience and self-control and the fruit of the Holy Spirit? When people look at you and say, well, you've known the Lord a long time. That's why you're so reverent, godly in your behavior. Some women, though they grow old, Become like Job's wife who said curse God and die. Or Jezebel, Ahab's wife. They become like Cruella de Vil. It's more wicked as time goes on. Now, that should not be the case and that is what Paul is saying here, make sure the older women are reverent in their behavior. Second, if you look at the text in verse 3, they are also not to be malicious gossips. And this is a very scary word. There's a lot of neat words in the the Greek in this text. Uh, Here, the word is diabolos. Now, normally, this word is translated devil. So you just insert that in there. Make sure they don't become devil women. And you know, the devil is the accuser of the brethren. That is, he in malicious intent, intent, he tries to exploit the faults of others. There are some women who love to gossip and talk. And Did you hear about so-and-so? Oh, so-and-so is always this, and so-and-so is always that. Those are devil women, according to God. Now, if that describes you, of course, you would need to repent of that and not be involved in exploiting and talking about other women for the mere pleasure of just talking about others problems and their faults and their weaknesses. And not only does it forbid that, but it forbids being a listener. You know, there are two people who are involved in slander, right? There is the speaker and the the listener. That's right. So just try this from now on. You women, you're standing around some woman sometime and she wants to say, oh, did you hear about something? You know, so-and-so you just say this, close your ears, go devil woman, devil woman <laughs> and run away. And I think that would go a long way. If some woman thought if she opened her mouth, I was going to cry that out and run away from her. Um, that might be a good thing to do, wouldn't it? Well, that's what God says is happening here. Don't let them be devil women. Don't don't be a malicious gossip. Third, verse three. Neither are they to be enslaved to much wine. Now, whenever you have a a verb that is an action word or a participle, which is another form of a, a verb, uh, there are two different ways that they happen. One is 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 the subject is the doer of the action. The other way is that the Action does it to the subject. One is active. The one is passive. In this case, this enslaved by much wine is actually a word that is passive. It means to be enslaved by wine. It's to let wine get a hold of you and enslave you, control you. We have women in this congregation. A while back, we heard testimonies when Teen Challenge Ministry was visiting here that some women get enslaved by wine, by alcohol, by drugs and other controlling substances. And if you were to talk to these women, you know, they didn't grow up with their desire to have a profession, to be enslaved to whatever now, it happens by small degrees at first, you know, maybe it's peer pressure and then it's pleasure. And then pretty soon uh, they're enslaved and they're thrust into this dark, cold dungeon of of slavery to their own lusts. And this substance that has now got a grip on them. And when you think about Titus and here he is he's on the island of Crete, and if you look in chapter one um, Paul says everybody knows that Cretans are liars and evil beasts and lazy gluttons That you know drinking was a big pastime And when you also think that you know here you are a lonely woman You don't have a husband or your husband neglects you and there's no tv. There's no shopping mall I mean, there's nothing to do. There's no cell phones. I mean you just uh, you know, what do you do? We sit around and drink and that's what a lot of woman would women would do. And pretty soon they would be enslaved to wine and every day was just getting up to get drunk so they could go to sleep and get up and get drunk and go to sleep. and And we know people like that. And Paul says, make sure you older women that you don't fall into that. Don't be enslaved by much wine. Fourth and finally, older women and wives are to be teaching what is good. The word good here is used of objects that are beautiful and people who are morally good and noble and praiseworthy. It it talks about character that is lived out so that when you look at a woman who is good, she would be a woman that you can see her goodness. And so the older women are not to be enslaved to wine, but they are to be teaching what is good, which implies that they themselves must be good. So when you look at your life, women, what do you see there? What do you see there? Do you see goodness? Because that's what God wants to see in your life. That's what other people need to see in your life. And all uh, of the things mentioned in this text are, are great and they're good uh, in your life. But it doesn't stop there. Sometimes, uh, you know, you can grow older in the Lord and your kids leave home and you've been thinking, well, I have my quiet times faithfully. I, you know, keep my house clean. I'm loving my husband. I'm going to church faithfully. I'm going to Bible study. I'm reading good books. And so I've kind of arrived. No, you haven't. All those things are good and all those things should be pursued. But you should also be thinking of how you can take the information you have learned and Share it with a younger woman. That's the whole point here. Older women teach what is good. Teach what is good. God wants the mature older women to disciple the younger, less mature women to teach them what is good, what is noble, praiseworthy, blameless, excellent. And this leads us to our next point. If you look there, verse 4 um, it starts out so that, this is a purpose clause. He says they are to teach the women what is good so that they may encourage the young women. Now, the word translated encourage, as the New American Standard has it, if you have uh, maybe the New King James, it says train uh, or admonish, um, the NIV says train and the English Standard Version has train. Uh, but this word encourage, admonish, train is an interesting word. It's uh, safranidzo, and it only appears once in the Bible, and uh, that's called a hapax legomena, isn't that a great word? I, I I kept thinking I couldn't quite remember what the word. I knew there was this huge, scary-sounding word that no one ever uses. I thought I've got to do it. So I had to call up Jeff Jones and say, "What is that hapax what word or whatever it is, legomena or something?" Anyways, um, that's it. It means only appears once in the Bible. But what's interesting is this: the the root of this word, saffron, appears. Uh, About 10 other cases in in the New Testament, different forms of the word, and five of them appear in this near context. As a matter of fact, in chapter one, verse eight and two, verse two and two, verse five and six, it's translated sensible, sensible. And what's interesting is it is a word that describes um, it's a compound word, something that is safe and sound compounded with the word mind to be safe and sound of mind. And so when it says that they're to encourage the young women, it really means they are to help them be safe and sound of mind. There are some women, especially younger women, who have not learned to bring their energy, their emotions and their tongues under the control of the Holy Spirit. Paul described them in 1 Timothy 5.13 as women who learn to be idle as they go around from house to house and not merely idle, but also gossips and busybodies talking about things not proper to mention. Some women are so uncontrolled in their actions and emotions and speech. You know, they make coffee nervous. They're just, they're just, you know, you get around them. It's just, they're scary. And, and things are coming out and they're just like going all directions at one and they need reined in. They need to learn some control. They need to have a sensible, self-controlled, sober mind. They're kind of female versions of house wrens. If you don't know what a house wren is, they're little small birds that just constantly flit around and make noise. And some women are like that. And the older women, this text says, need to make sure the younger women are not that way. And you could paraphrase verse four so that they may bring the younger women to their senses to sober mindedness and spur them on to be gentle and quiet spirits which are precious in the sight of God. It's important that older women teach younger women. And that needs to be happening in every church, especially this church. Because we've just studied, now we're accountable. And it is happening, but it needs to happen more. We have many godly women who are teaching other younger women, but we have some women, I know, that you have known the Lord for a long time and you are not helping out the younger women. And I'm not talking about, you know, doing a whole bunch of exegesis and, you know, getting all elaborate here. I'm talking about you as an older woman who's known the Lord, who's read the word, who's studied the Bible, who's gone to Bible studies, who's heard a million sermons, calling up some younger woman and saying, hey, let's get together for tea or coffee. I'll come over or you can come over. And, you know, how's your marriage doing? Now, how's your how's your new baby? Any frustrations, any challenges? You know, a lot of times you think you may think to yourself, but Jack, you know, I know I'm an older woman, but man, I blew it. I didn't do what was right. That is exactly why they need to hear from you. (laughs) They need to hear you. You need to say, listen, honey pie. You know, when I had my sweet young thing and I thought I loved them too much to discipline them, but they grew up to be big monsters. And so don't you do that. See, they need to hear from you because even if you didn't do what was right, you learn from your mistakes. You learn from your mistakes. Older women in the Lord, take a moment to consider the world we live in. Consider the pressures that are on younger women to focus on their externals and things and to pursue a career and put their kids in daycare and let somebody else raise their children. That the goal of life is money and things and prestige. Think of all the bad examples younger women have to face that they're constantly bombarded with bad examples in TV and media and the newspapers and magazines. It's just all this bad, trashy, anti-biblical junk that they're constantly exposed to. And you have learned over time that it is junk. And a lot of them need to learn from you that it is junk. And you need to tell them why. And you have things you can teach them. And so, you know, just maybe... Try and just, if you aren't doing anything, just try and pick out two women. You know, you look in this congregation, do we have any younger women here? Hello. Do we have any young mothers here? I mean, we're going to, you know, have to have, you know, I don't know, mandatory abstinence or something. I mean, there's, we have more babies happening here. It's just, you know, we've got, we've worn the finish off the top of the piano with those roses. There are so many babies happening here. There are so many young mothers who have never had a child before. And this is their first time. Do you remember what that was like? You know, when they sent you home, it's like, oh, oh, you know, Uh, well, can't you send three nurses with me? (laughs) You know, you don't know what you're doing. And that's why you older women need to show up. How you doing? And, you know, can I pray for you? Is there anything I can do for you? You know, this is what I learned, this is what I found that worked, and I've heard other people do this. Just share your wisdom. Teach those younger women. You have wives here, people who are getting married, and you know, they're young women are trying to figure out how to love their husbands and how to take care of their household and how to function. And you know, you you can you have things to teach them. And so do it, because that's what the scripture says. Older women are to make sure They do that to the younger women. Now, if you're thinking to yourself, but Jack, what what specifically do I do? Well, Paul just happens to give us seven things. Look at uh, um, look at verse four towards the end there. And this is our third point. Wives, love your husbands and children. Being a godly woman, you know, is an easy concept to understand. Just like building a 747 is an easy concept to understand. The concept is not the problem. It's the doing of it. That's the problem. And, you know, you, you there's nothing like saying, oh, yeah, I'd love to have a baby. But when you get them home, that's the problem. You know, when you're trying to get them to sleep through the night so you can sleep through the night. And, you know, you're dealing with colicky babies and, you know, all sorts of things, you know, that happen. And. This is what we're talking about here. This is what he's trying to say. And so Paul says, let me give you seven areas. If you don't know where to start, here's seven things. First area is that they may encourage the um, these younger women to love their husbands. Love their husbands. Now, this is actually an adjective meaning husband lovers. Teach the younger women to become Husband lovers, those who are described as loving their husbands. Now, what is interesting is in the Greek, there's two primary words used in the New Testament to describe love. One is agape, which is the one that appears in almost all the instances where Christians are told to love people. It's almost always this unconditional self-sacrificing love, the kind of love God has for us. But that's not used here. Instead, in this verse, the word philos is used. The word philos is compounded with the word for husband. And philos is a word describing the love of a close friend, a faithful, committed companion, somebody who would stick with you to the end and encourage you and be there for you. And that's what older women are to teach younger women to be towards their husbands. Now, what's interesting is, you start talking to younger women, and they often think, because they're women, that they can do this by treating their husbands like they would want to be treated, but it doesn't work that way. They have to find out from these older women, you know, just go to Lowe's with them. You know, just just building supply places, it, it works. Um, You know, cook him a good meal and express your love to him in a note in his lunch. Call him at the office. Tell him that you like him. Tell him you want to spend time with him. You know, endure the monster trucks once a year. You know, things like that. Then you may be thinking to yourself, well, do I have to? No, you get to. This is your privilege. You need to be a lover of your husband. You need to be his friend. And so older women are to teach younger women to be their husband's best friend. Not only that, if you look down a little bit farther, not only to learn to um, love their husbands, but the next phrase to love their children, actually children lovers. And here um, the same Greek word philos is attached to the word for children. It means children lovers again, meaning that women need to work at being friends with their children. And we know that friendships don't happen by neglect. They happen on purpose. If you want to be a close friend to somebody, you have to spend the time, right? And that's exactly what needs to happen. Younger women need to learn how to have a close, committed friendship and affection and compassion for their children. You maybe think, well, doesn't that happen automatically? Well, no, it doesn't. And if you look in the world today, you will find out that many women are neglecting their children, aren't they? Sure they are. You bet they are. If you love some someone, you do what is best for them. But many moms, out of selfishness, do not do what is best for their children. And they really don't know what is best for their children. They've never even thought about it. They let someone else raise their children. They don't discipline their children. They don't teach their children the word of God. They don't spend time playing with them. teaching them how to read, reproving, rebuking, exhorting, encouraging, admonishing them, doing all those things that friends do. Many wives have chosen to put their children in daycare merely to have more things of the world, and they're guilty about it. And they know they're not doing what's right. I've had women come to me and and say, you know, well, you know, gosh, that is so neat that you know your your wife is a house mom. I said, well, why don't why aren't you a house mom? Well, I can't make the payment on our Bronco. What? What is that? Uh, you know, and if I were to ask that one, do you like your Bronco more? Or your child, my child. No, that's not what your actions are telling me. They pick up their child at the end of the day from daycare. They already feel guilty that they've left them all day. And so they come home and now they don't want to discipline them. And so then their child's grow, grow up to be selfish and demanding and out of control. This is not loving your children. This is not loving your children. Uh, You love your children. You're going to do what's best for them, even at your sacrifice. And the most tragic case of neglect women today is when women pay people to kill their children in their womb. We're going to talk about that for two weeks. God wants mothers to be committed friends to their children and to love them faithfully, faithfully. Third, they are to encourage the younger women to be sensible. Now this, we had that other word, uh, Safranidzo. This is another form of that word, Safran. And it means to be sensible, to be sober-minded. And younger women need to be sober-minded. They need to learn how to be prudent and discreet and shrewd and organized and display godly character and, you know, learn the routine to maintain a household. My wife has talked to so many women about, you know, how do you do it? How do you do it? my wife says, listen, when you get up in the morning, get up in the morning. Don't get out there and lounge around in your jammies till noon. Get up at six. Get in the shower. Get dressed. Get your makeup on. Get out there. Read your Bible. Get ready. This is your job. You know, get on it. Women need to learn how to do that. And at first, it doesn't come natural. They don't know how to do it. And so that's why older women need to teach the younger women to be sensible, to bring their mind into a well-ordered fashion, self-controlled in the direction of doing what is right towards their husband and children. Fourth, they are to encourage the younger women to be pure. The word, word pure describes moral purity, especially sexual purity. This would include modest apparel, conversations that are honoring to the Lord, thoughts and behavior that is chaste and respectful women need to learn this you know the other day we went out with some people and they're sitting in here i won't mention their names but we were having dessert and there after they started eating that dessert on the very top stuck in the caramel was a fly now they got a new dessert And they know they didn't eat anything in close proximity of the dessert. I told them that one time me and a friend ate a big bowl of salsa and we got to the bottom. There was a fly drowned in the bottom. Um, That kind of ruins the purity of things, doesn't it? It only takes a little bit of defilement to ruin the whole thing. And purity is one of those absolute kind of states. You either are or you aren't. You aren't, you know, kind of. Kind of impure is impure you know one fly spoils the whole dessert so younger women need to learn not to load their mind with trashy romance novels and sit around and watch soap operas and tv programs that aren't pure that aren't chaste, that aren't respectful they need to keep their minds and their hearts pure so their lives can be pure. That is why the scriptures say we are to guard our heart with all diligence. Proverbs 423 for from our hearts, flow the springs of life. Now, if you ask yourself, how do I protect my heart? How do I guard it? This is how, Your heart receives information through your senses, what you see, hear, taste, touch, and smell. And so if you're going to guard your heart with all diligence, you must guard your heart from what you see, hear, taste, touch, and smell. Especially what you see and hear, which is where almost all of it comes in. And so if you're going to be an older woman, you're going to help the younger women, you help them be pure by saying, listen, don't look at those things. Don't bother with those things. Those are not going to help you. They're not going to help you be pure. You make sure your mind, your heart, your actions are brought under the control of the Holy Spirit and that they are thinking about modest and discreet things, not things that dishonor God. Fifth, they are to encourage the younger women to be workers at home. I'm telling you, this little phrase right here is the target that the whole world is shooting at. This phrase has come under more attack than almost any phrase in the Bible. The feminists hate this phrase. They just wish it was not here, but it is here. And what it means is workers at home. Imagine that. Now, what I want to do is I want to just take some time to explain what's going on here. Why the world hates this phrase. Why that that the reason the world hates this phrase is not just because women want to have reasonable, you know, equality with men and, you know, be able to vote and stuff. This is something much more ancient and much deeper than that. There were ancient Babylonian and Persian religions that worshipped female deities, mother goddesses, and taught female dominance over men. Later, towards the first century, some of these same pagan concepts from these ancient religions were repackaged into a new name, Gnosticism which taught female supremacy and dominance. Also more recently, those Babylonian Persian pagan religions and new Testament Gnosticism have been repackaged again in the form of feminism. Feminism tries to take these same concepts and apply them. And, and you know, you're, you're just taking the same paganism, the same doctrines and repackaging them into different names. That, you know, if a woman um, somehow uh, fulfills her God-given role and loves her husband and loves her children as a worker at home, she's being cruelly oppressed. That it's a male conspiracy that enough, come on. I read this week, I was reading up on this and, you know, I didn't have time because it's the way it is. Um, but, you know, there was this one woman who was saying, you know, uh, this feminist writer was saying, you know, what we need to make sure is that no children are raised in a house with a male. Because, you know, male influence corrupts them. We need to teach all people to be more feminine. More ladylike. You know what that leads to? Of course, the feminist propaganda is just bombarded in our society. And, you know, this whole workers at home phrase is just. Makes them clench their teeth because they hate it. But listen, being a worker at home doesn't mean you're confined to a prison called home. Being a worker at home means that you recognize God has given you a specific role, and since He is God, since He is your Creator, and since He knows what's best, you submit to Him. This is not something men invented. That you realize that loving your husband and supporting your husband and raising your children in the fear and admonition of the Lord and maintaining your household is the best thing for you, the best thing for your husband, the best thing for your children, and the best thing for society. And this does not mean that women can't engage in business outside the home to help support their family. But she could never do that to the neglect of her husband, her children, or her household ever. Or it'd be a violation of this text. What every woman needs to know is that obeying God's role for them is right and practicing pagan religion, you know, repackaged as Nazism or New Ageism or political correctness is wrong, ungodly and sin. Now, what makes matters more complicated is that women today find themselves in situations that make it very difficult for them to obey God's instructions in this text. Very difficult in some cases. And I just want to just quickly survey some of the forces that are fighting against God's will for women and wives and moms first. When women abandoned their God-given role late in the fifties and sixties and started entering into the workplace, the cost of living skyrocketed. Why? Well, because now instead of having single income homes, you have dual income homes. You have what, you know, you have dinks, dual income, no kid families. And so all of these dinks now have double income. And no kids. So their buying power increases. So they're buying houses and buying things. And pretty soon, they're setting the standard for the rest. The problem is, is some of these dink families, after having raised their standard of living, now the wife gets pregnant. She has a child. But, you know, they're used to this new standard of living. They got to keep up with the Joneses. They've been seduced by the world. And so the husband says, listen, honey, we'll just put the kids, after six weeks, you can put your kids in daycare, go back to work, and then we'll let somebody else raise our children in the most formidable years of their life, which is between the ages of, you know, zero and six. And that's what's happened. Second, when women entered into the workforce, adultery increased exponentially. It just did. All these women are hanging around with these guys. A lot of them are better looking, younger nicer they didn't know their faults like their husbands and this led to increasing divorce and then pretty soon there's all these women out there now who are divorced with children trying to raise those children they have to go to work to support them third feminism has tried to liberate women from the rigid confines of biblical morality and introduce them to sexual freedom this has led to just exponential what i mean by exponential is you know rocket trajectory problems now there is just an ever increasing rate of single moms giving birth to children out of wedlock and these women have to support themselves and their children so their children go to daycare they go to work But even if you are a newly married Christian couple, even if you're committed to obeying this text, it is very difficult to do so in a culture that has rejected the Bible and that has built structures around dual income families. I mean, if a husband doesn't have a college education, he finds it difficult to support his family so his wife can be a worker at home. And if young couples without children both decide to work, they need to be encouraged to live off of one income. They can use that extra income to save or maybe to, you know, save up for a house or to buy One time purchases, but not to go into debt, not that they need that income, because what happens is, is they get into debt, they buy all these things, they get two cars and their home and furniture and appliances and their plasma TV and all their, you know, gadgets and stereos and stuff. And then all of a sudden the woman gets pregnant and they got to make their payments. And so what happens? Kids go to daycare. Wife goes to work. Many couples get into debt in order to have the things of the world. And they end up selling their children to somebody else to raise. They actually pay them money to raise their children. That's not right. That's not being a worker at home ironically and this is what's very interesting studies have shown that when most women get that second nice car to commute to work in buy that nice wardrobe for work pay for ghastly and maintenance of their car pay for lunches to eat out at work they're often not much better off financially and in many cases worse than if they would just stay home and raise their children But even the ones who are better off, how much better off are they? They got a few more things and a couple hundred dollars more a month to have somebody else raise their children. That's not right. That's wrong. And I know this sermon is directed at wives, but I'm just going to stop right now and address the husbands for one sentence. It's your fault. Because you're the leader of your home. You tell your wife you're not going back to work. Because that would be a violation of the word of God. Okay, back to the women. Now, after children are out of the house or before they arrive in the scene, there's nothing wrong with a woman working to help contribute to her family's income. But it should never be done at the expense of her husband, her children, her household. Because those are her priorities. Every woman needs to be able to say, I am there for my children. I'm there for my husband. I have a well-maintained household. I am a worker at home. If you can't say that, then it needs to change, guys. And for women who find themselves in hard situations, and there are many of them, and this is what makes it so difficult. I know that there are women who get into situations sometimes they're divorced. Sometimes they've made bad decisions and had children out of wedlock. Whatever the case may be, some of them have just disobedient husbands, whatever. And they are forced to into situations that are less than ideal than what God prescribes in his word. And for those women, the church needs to come to their rescue. And we need to realize that those women need prayer. They need encouragement. They need to be helped. You know, they need to have light bulbs changed and leaky faucets fixed and, you know, whatever it is, um, the men and women of the church need to pray for them and just be there and love them in tangible ways because they're, they're trying to conform to a standard that right now they can't conform to. And so we need to help them in every way we can to survive in their less than ideal situation. Sixth, older women are to encourage the younger women to be kind. This word is translated kind or good. It just talks about that kind, you know, the fruit of the spirit, you know, love, joy, peace, patience, goodness, kindness, gentleness, faithfulness. The older women are to teach the women to be kind, to bring their their tongues and their emotions and their words, you know, under the control of the Holy Spirit. Seventh, they are to encourage the younger women to be subject to their own husbands. And we covered this last week in some detail, but I just want to address a particular area of submission that people often ask about. What do you do? What do you do when you've got this woman, you know, who graduated from Harvard and she's got two earned doctorates. And she's got energy to spare. She's smart. She's intelligent. She's a natural leader. She just she's just, she's a good organizer. She's good at math. She's thrifty. She's whatever. And her husband is Mr. Laidback. Mr. Mellow. Mr. Whatever. And now what do you do? You know, you've got this Irish setter married to a tortoise. (laughs) And, And a lot of people find themselves in this situation because opposites attract. Okay. So here you are. All right. What do you do? First, the wife realizes that God has made her tortoise husband her head, not her. And she is to submit to her husband. Second, she realizes that no matter what, every wife has to submit to her husband and allow him to lead. It's not her responsibility to lead because her husband isn't doing things like she wants. The husband needs to own up to his own responsibility. The wife needs to let him. So she needs to take her energy, her intelligence, her leadership capabilities and rein herself in and keep putting those reins in her husband's lap while he's napping on the couch. Because what happens is, is when husbands don't lead their wives, the wives get insecure and then they grab for the reins, you know, while he's napping. At first, they do it out of reluctance, but then they get used to it. And then when the husband wants them back, they say, forget you, man, you're unfaithful, man. Listen, I'm driving this chariot. You just hang on. See, a husband can either decide to lead in a positive way or he abdicates his leadership. Those are the only two things you can do. You're either going to lead or you're going to abdicate. But I'm telling you, husbands, no matter what, you're responsible. You know, if you tell your wife, your wife goes, Well, honey, you know, the the dishwasher broke, and, you know, which one should we get? And you say, I don't care. And she goes out and buys some lemon. That's your decision. And you can't say, Well, why did you buy this piece of junk? No, you bought it. You delegated that authority, and it's your fault. You are responsible. So you either abdicate and you're responsible or you don't abdicate and you're responsible before God. You're responsible wives. That means that piece by piece, item by item, area by area, you slowly defer to you. You learn to defer to your husband while you sleeping there on the couch. And this requires self-control. And it's OK if the husband says, you know, you're good at this, honey. Why don't you go ahead and do it? OK, that's his leadership. That's fine. But you defer, you make yourself defer. You can't sin because your husband is sinning. The wife reminds her husband, it's time to pay the bills. And the husband says, you know, I'll do it. But then he doesn't do it. And then pretty soon it's like, well, honey, some of the bills are due today and you haven't paid the bills. I know I'll take care of it. And then he forgets. So what does she do? She trusts God without being frightened by any fear. And all of a sudden he comes home and says, how come the lights are out? (laughs) You didn't pay the bill. (laughs) What? Yeah, remember you said you were going to pay the bill? Remember I told you to pay the bill? Remember you didn't pay the bill? Yeah, so this is your choice and I'm just wearing a coat. (laughs) I've got some candles, but they're almost gone. And see, this is what... What what wives need go, you know but what if it, what if our credit's ruined? what, if, what if, you know, what if I have to suffer inconvenience? Oh, then your credit's ruined, and you have to suffer inconvenience, but you cannot sin and take the reins from your husband. They are never for you to take. Many wives are willing to submit to their husbands as long as their husbands do what they say. That's wrong. It's backwards. A woman is to place herself in subjection to her husband, period, without being frightened by any fear. That means regardless of the consequence, she does it. You know, if he's going to plunge your family into financial ruin, he plumbs you into financial ruin. But that's not your responsibility to take those reins from him. Your responsibility is to be in subjection to your husband. And older women, you teach the younger women how to do that. Even the type A ones. Finally... Paul gives the motive or reason why older, more mature women need to be teaching the less mature women and wives to do all of these things, especially submit to their husbands, the end of verse five, so that the word of God will not be dishonored. And again, this word here is the word blasphemy in the Greek, that God will not be blasphemed. You know, in the world, those who believe the Bible believe in some sort of dinosaur oppressive patriarchal misery and of course we know that god who has designed marriage and created men and women knows what is best for families and society and christians know that and so they submit to what god says and if you refuse to submit to what god says if you are a woman whether old or young and you know what the word of god says and you don't submit to it, what you're doing you're just telling god this listen god I know more than you do. You're dumb. I'm smart. That's what you're saying. You're saying, listen, I know you think you know what is best for me, but I want you to know I know what is best for me more than you know. That, people, is blasphemy. And that is exactly what he's saying. So that, it's called the hinna purpose clause, so that in order that, you may teach them not to blaspheme God. Because when you don't follow God's plan, you blaspheme God because you're basically saying, hey, I know better than you do what is good for me and my family and my husband and my children. You know, we've gotten our whole country and our whole world is in a huge mess because we've followed this pagan religion, repackaged as feminism into a bad place where women want total equality in every area. And you know what? Pretty soon the men are going to give it to them. The men are going to give it to them. Just imagine the military draft where men insist that half the people drafted are women. Half the Marines, half the Navy SEALs, half the Rangers have to be women and have to be out there in battle. How would you like your 18-year-old daughter drafted into the Marines to fight? How many women do you think would survive an entire game of professional football? Did you see that? Some, you know, 125-pound woman across from a 350-pound linebacker. We're talking dead Hey, it's equal. It's equal. Well, the same. Okay, then you're going to die. You see what's happening? <laughs> what's happening is feminism pretends to set women free but it's digging their grave it pretends to do what is best for children but it's destroying children it's destroying families it's promoting evil and we need to make sure as christians that we know what the word of god says because i'm telling you you know, I've had people. I've had people come up and rebuke me in weddings where I mentioned, you know, well, you know, you're to submit. The Bible says you know are to submit to your husband. I've had people come up to me after me. I can't believe you said that in public. <laughs> it's like what? That wives have to submit to their husbands? I said, well, they do. And they're just like, you know, <laughs> and then they go to the people that I married and go, how did you get such a wretched guy? He actually said that. I mean, there's hostility now. You know, we, we come here in this church and this is kind of our own little club of, you know, we kind of come together and all hear the truth and go, yeah, yeah. When you start speaking the truth out there in the world and you know what happens. You, you, you meet up with hostility and don't back down. Don't say, well, you know, it's okay for you. It's not okay. You just tell them, listen, you know, you can either obey God or not. You don't say this is my opinion and that's yours. You say this is God's opinion and all everybody needs to submit to it. you want to destroy your life? You want to destroy your marriage? You want to be miserable and be an angry, bitter Cruella de Vil? Then just do it that way. If you want to have happiness, if you want to have blessing, if you want to have joy, you come over to our house when we're sitting around the table at dinner and we're laughing night after night and having peace in our family. I'm telling you, that's what happens when you know God. How's your family like? See, the truth, the truth wins out. I mean, they have no argument against that. They can try everything they want. It doesn't work. And that's why older women need to make sure they themselves have their lives right. And then they seek out those younger women and they teach them to be this way. Because when this happens, there's peace, there's joy, there's happiness, and there's blessing. Because God knows best. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are such a good God, that you give us great information so that we can know how to have joy. I pray for all the women here that you would help them be the women that you have called them to be. And, Father, I especially pray for just uh, the single moms and wives with disobedient husbands. Father, I pray that you would help Calvary Bible Church be a place that encourages them and prays for them. And, Father, I pray that you would help remind them that you are... Uh, just a, a father to the fatherless, and and, a, and a, a husband to the husbandless, and Father, that you would um, encourage them and help them to. Just obey you the best they can. And, Father, may the church extend grace and mercy to them as they patiently wait to get out of the situation that they are in. And, Father, I just thank you for the many godly women who are in this congregation who have spent time and hours, resources, investing in younger women. I pray that we'd continue to do that, and we would do that uh, by excelling still more in that area. Father, help Calvary Bible Church show the world what it means to live according to your word and to have God-honoring families so that we can um, let our light so shine before them that they might see our, our wonderful families and lives. And Father, give you glory on account of it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen.